One of the most exciting aspects of working in the construction industry right now is the phenomenal level of innovation that is infusing all parts of the business. Office buildings that used to be functional and basic are now highly intelligent, designed for the optimum user experience. Digital technologies are transforming how projects are planned and built. Even the efficiency of machinery and company vehicles is being analysed and improved. This change is not just having an impact on projects, but on people too. Roles are changing and growing, people managers are having to lead in a whole new way, and relationships with clients are quickly evolving. In times like this, the opportunities for personal, professional and commercial development are abundant. And that's what we will be talking about on this episode of Inside CISC. Welcome to Inside CISC, a podcast series brought to you by John Sisk and Son, where we meet the people behind the projects. I'm Patrick Hawhey, and on this episode, I meet two guests that are working at the forefront of some of the innovation that we're seeing at play in the industry today. Jennifer McCullough, Head of Facilities Management at Sensory FM, a company that is part of the wider CISC group. You know, you think you've seen it all, and then you walk into a building and go what is that and what does it do like the technology is moving so fast at the minute that you have to keep learning you have to keep on top of it every single day is a school day you never know what's going to drop into your email and jody coleman commercial director at cisc rail so that agility and that ability to do things a bit different and think outside the box and problem solve which is what our sounds are fantastic at has enabled us to buck the trend and stay ahead of our competition to react quicker for our clients. Jennifer and Jody will both outline how their sectors are innovating through digital technologies and modern methods of construction, the opportunities and the challenges it presents to them and their teams, and how they are helping to bring clients on the journey. Jennifer starts by describing what facilities management is and just how much it has changed in recent years. So facilities management at its core is basically the built environment so it's a business as it stands it's making sure that all the assets that are installed within that building are working as efficiently as possible as green as possible you know that basically it's keeping the building functioning and the people that are interacting within that building you know are working within the best environment um, but then we also that would kind of be where a lot of facilities management companies start and finish so then I suppose if you know a client is coming to you looking for a big plant upgrade or they're looking for you know a smart building upgrade or they're looking for energy consultancy or all of that kind of stuff you know you then start to need to involve electrical engineers mechanical engineers construction engineers you know all of these type of people that people don't know where to go to and then they don't know you know if I get this person then what's the next step who do I involve after that so I suppose from Sensory's point of view we have all of that in-house because we're coming from um, you know designer group and a facilities management side and then we also have CISC and the construction side and all of that kind of sitting within our remit so we can literally take a building from 
design, build, and then maintain all as one package. So clients kind of know that once they go to us, that's it. They can kind of back away and they can hand everything over to us for, you know, nearly the life of their building if they want to. Yeah. So that's kind of the the offering that we can give to people that, you know, not everybody out there can give that it's a 360 degree approach. You mentioned assets in a building mm. and that's really the, the, the bread and butter of, of what you do. Tell me, say 20 years ago, what the assets in a building would be. And let's just build that up to today and how different they are. Well, I suppose the assets in the building at that time were literally, you know, it's the boiler sitting in the plant room that, you know, the dirty plant room down the back that nobody ever thought about. And it supplied a bit of heat and a bit of coolant to the building. And that was kind of the end of it. Do you know what I mean? So compliance and health and safety and energy management and you know how people interacted with a building and all of that kind of stuff was completely different and then people kind of realized that you know the assets that sit in the back of a building and how they interact with the building and how they change the environment you know the air quality the lighting matrix the sound quality everything that's within a building fed into how the people actually enjoyed that building and interacted with that environment within that building. And I suppose now that demographics are changing and people were getting used to working at home and, you know, they're now looking for a more informal environment to walk in. They're looking for, you know, all of these smart, you know, smart services that the data digital twins are bringing in that they can book meeting rooms from an app when they're sitting at home and then they they can plan out their day and how they're going to interact with that building from home. You can look into the building and say, okay, you know, say today I have a podcast. So I want a room that has, you know, really good sound protection. I want a room that has, you know, low level lighting. So you have, you know, the systems that you can link that will say, okay, this boardroom is booked now from 10 o'clock today. We'll check the CO2 levels in this room. We'll check the humidity levels, the temperature levels, the lighting levels, all of that kind of stuff. And it will bring all of that on maybe 15 minutes before the people have that room booked to make sure that that room is at an optimum environment for people to sit into it. You can link it then to you know, people have the cleaning sensors that they scan into a room when they're cleaning it. So it can kind of trigger that, right, the people are not using this room now, but there's another meeting booked in two hours time. You can trigger your cleaners to come in and clean that. The blinds can be linked into it so that, you know, if the light levels are set at a certain amount and the sun comes on outside, the blinds will drop. You know, all of these things are important now. So assets that used to be, you know, okay, sure, look, when that breaks down, we'll worry about it afterwards, are basically how landlords are getting blue chip tenants into a building. So, And then when the tenants are moving into their building, it's how they're actually getting employees in the door and how they're keeping employees there. It's the workspaces and how how smart the building is, how easy it is for people to work within those environments and that they actually feel that they're in a safe, you know, well-maintained well looked after building that you know is actually feeding into their health and their experience and their day-to-day job so it's it's literally completely turned on its head the systems are actually smart and when they say they're smart it means that they actually start to monitor all the data and monitor all the metrics and start to learn the building and how the building functions and then they actually make tweaks to kind of say okay you know this building is this area is not occupied at this time they'll start to ramp down the air that's being pumped in there you know it turns off the lights 
So say for argument's sake, in a school building, there might be, you know, one teacher staying back with a class, a leaving cert class, and they're operating out of one classroom in a school. Before the whole heating, um, all the lights, everything would have been on in that entire school. But now you're looking at zonal controls and you're only turning on one little specific area of that building. So over the course of an entire year, the energy that you're saving there is phenomenal. It's energy saving at its best, but then it's obviously saving your customer a huge amount of money because their assets are not failing prematurely. It's making sure that all of their systems are talking to each other and making sure that they're running even amounts of time. So you're not having one boiler running all the time and the other three are sitting down there doing nothing. Like it just makes everything much more energy efficient and much more functional. And then the person owning that building can just pull down a dashboard and basically see everything that's going on you know and you can sell that to landlords you can sell it to tenants you can only work with the information you're given and if you don't have information you can't make those higher level decisions so it gives people the information to to make those decisions you know Jennifer mentioned the energy efficiency that is being achieved through the technology that Sensory FM is integrating into the buildings it manages Next, Jennifer will describe one particular example that Sensory has just successfully tested in its own training centre in Dublin. It is a system that enables clients to operate to a large extent off-grid. This particular innovation was led by Managing Director Mark Cullen and Project Director Kevin Buggy. Jennifer explains how it all works. We have a purpose-built training facility um, for Sensory where we do kind of all our training external to our to our main office. And they installed this system in our training facility to basically see if it was going to work and if it was going to basically deliver what it said on the tin. And then if it did, we'd be able to bring some of our clients and kind of show them how it worked and see if they'd be kind of interested in putting this into, into their businesses. So it's called a DDN system. So it's a dual distributed network system. So basically, instead of using your normal AC cable, it's a low voltage kind of DC and fiber cable. And then all you really need to run it is like the equivalent of a comms rack, like a small comms rack that would sit within your comms room. So we've gone ahead and we installed this in Santry. You know, there's no generator, there's no backup power or anything there. But I literally went down there a couple of weeks back and dropped all power to the unit and everyone was still sitting there doing their training. The security system stay up, the lighting stays up, the Wi-Fi stays up, you know, everything like that is backed up. So it's all the general services, the security systems, your CCTV, your lighting, any heaters that you can run off DC power, radiant panels, your air filters, all of that kind of stuff stayed running as if nothing had happened. And we basically have that entire system now running off grid. So when we did that and we proved that basically it could work and everybody was happy with it. We got a tender in actually from a public procurement company and they had three comms rooms required for this and they had all sorts of capital spend on this and basically we reduced it down to, we pitched them this system, reduced it down to one comms room, half the storage that was required, a lot less cabling, a lot less civils, a lot less infrastructure and we were awarded it and now they have basically all their security systems running off this self-reliant system so hopefully it's something that um that takes off well what you just touched on like the technology is fascinating but what you just touched on there i guess is an important part of the relationships piece and that's not just doing a great job for a, for a client over over time but also actually 
um, being a trusted advisor to a client at the early stages when they maybe don't understand what's possible for their own buildings. Mm-hmm. You can show them the way. Is that a key part of what you're doing these days? Absolutely. Um, and I suppose it, it goes back to what I was talking about earlier on when, you know, when building managers and people that kind of, I suppose, maybe weren't from a mechanical or an electrical background, you know, they were from a property background, were managing all of these services. And then like that, as the buildings and the technology and everything like that grew at such a pace that it grew at, you know, the people that were were managing them might not necessarily have been the people with the expertise. So that was when I think everybody kind of realized, right, we need to look for a company with this expertise that we can kind of put our building into Mm. their hands and we can go to them for any advice and, you know, that type of stuff that we need. And like that, our clients might be dealing with me for argument's sake as, as a facilities manager. And they might come to me and say, look, I need A, B and C looked at. I would have absolutely no problem in saying to them, okay, I'm not the person for that. I don't know what you need, but I'll, you know, I'll go to one of my electrical engineers or I'll go to my construction engineer. There's literally an entire team sitting there on, on the other side of the office that they can literally just go to them with the information and say, look, I've been asked to pull this project together for my client. You know, we'll all sit around. We'll have a quick teams meeting. You know, we might have one in-house and then we'll involve the client and there'll be several different options that'll be put to them. Our clients like that, they'll realize that that you are there and that you know what you're doing and you have the backup to deliver on the things that they've asked you. And then they'll ask you something and they won't even follow up because they'll just trust that once I've passed this on to to Sensory, uh, you know, it's handled. They'll come back to me when the answer is there. I don't need to be sending them six emails or chasing them 25 times. Mm -hmm. They'll come back to me with a solution and we'll be able to go from there. So you can see that. And then there's a couple of, you know, clients that have obviously followed people so as a lot of us moved over to sensory a lot of our clients followed with us do you know what i mean so there is those relationships and stuff as well so it it, it's a very strong team i have to say there's a very strong team there from the fm side from the health and safety side from the engineering side and you know people just just grow to realize that and then they they stay with you and it's repeat business for years and years Another part of the wider CIS group that has a strong team leading a great deal of innovation for clients is Cisc Rail. Having experienced exponential growth in recent years, Cisc Rail is modernising its offering for clients in a variety of interesting ways. Commercial Director Jody Corcoran describes what the company is all about and some of the innovations and efficiencies that they are implementing. Cisc Rail is a, an absolutely fantastic part of our business. It's effectively a group of people that that work in in predominantly Bristol in the southwest of the UK. The true heart of the business is is the 150 plus highly skilled artisans that deliver that work themselves. Um, You know, we we utilize a lot of SMEs and small small value businesses to support that. But but it's really those 150 people that that make the business succeed and, and make it successful those 150 people what kind of jobs are they is there a typical kind of job or there's a majority job the best example would be our m&e team electricians um, mechanical tradesmen they they join our business in an apprenticeship capacity they've developed with the business so we've now got people managing large proportions of our work who used to be apprentices and that's it it, they're following a very similar culture and and kind of mindset to the wider group that, that we've seen and heard in other podcasts I joined the business when we turned over about 28 million a year. We acquired a business called Fuse Rail, 
at the beginning of the year. Um, I think it would be a good example of some of the work that they do where they they do lots of physical track work. So they do lots of electrical bonding, um, electrical points heating, um, lots of traditional track work that, that you kind of see people in orange just on the side of the railway line. So they do an awful lot in, in that world around the MEP world, mechanical electrical power work. Um, the wider CISC rail business do more of the structures. So they look at bridges, they look at drainage culverts, and we do quite a lot in, in that, that kind of field. Um, and then when you look into the wider group, where you look at some of the projects that our Sybils UK business have been doing, as a rail business, we, we help support some of those projects on a, a much smaller scale to enable them to succeed. Could you give us an example of a project? What is it? What is a, a, a typical or maybe just a, a recent project you have done for a client? I suppose a good example of a project with our business would be a scheme that we've got at the moment where we are building a modular building for a client. And we managed to work with our partner, Vision Built, another part of the CIS group, to offer a solution to a problem that our client had in, in a modular world that was very innovative and it was very different to, to what our client were used to. We're installing 45 modular units together to make a, a modular unit that will house 200 people mm-hmm. working for our client in their client organisation, complete with all the welfare and, and everything that goes with it. These are relo- semi-relocatable buildings built to a fantastically high specification that, that offer our client a much greater quality of, of office accommodation you know, the, the latest one includes a gym. It includes all the welfare facilities you'd expect, as well as all the office standards. That's in a in an offering that is to a much higher specification than you could get if you were to go and buy a porter cabin or, or similar product on the market normally. Uh, but it comes in a, in a similar fashion. The, the advantages to that for the project, rather than building a traditional building, is you tend to get greater quality because you're building it in a factory. So you're building everything in one place. You can control the quality much better. You tend to get better safety because you're building in a condition that is effectively sterile. You, you can control the, the vehicle movements. You can control how things how things interface. Um, you also tend to get less wastage because you can reuse a leftover piece of material on another project in the same factory the following day. They're massively more efficient to run. So the, these units for us are coming triple glazed. Because they've been prefabricated, they have a much greater quality of air tightness. They can be made to look different and, and, and not look in a, that kind of traditional prefabricated structure that you can you see quite often. You, you can make these units look however you like. And that, that's been a really interesting project for me because it's it's helping us to use modern technology. So we're using MMC, modular construction methods, We've used technology slightly differently, which isn't unusual for the wider industry, but it's, it's a bit different in the rail sector. Um, we've also been able to help educate our client and bring them on that journey with us so that they can see things and, and, and they can see the true potential of CISC, which has been fantastic. One of the other things that we do, which we don't talk about, we don't shout about as much as we probably should, is we also look to prefabricate some of our normal assembly work. So I touched earlier on fuse rail and some of the work that they do in the MEP world for, for the track. They install lots of location cabinets, which are the, the kind of almost telephone box style cabinets you see on the side of the railway line. They prefit those. So they use their own kind of warehousing factory facility to 
pre-fit those boxes with all of the equipment that are needed to carry out the, the particular role that they're, they're being installed for so that when it comes to their shift to install, they can turn up with their unit, they can lower it onto its base, connect up the cabling, and then mobilize it for use. And what that does is that that actually reduces the impact that the, the team have on the railway line. And by impacting the, the time on the railway line, they're maximizing the amount of trains that can be used. And and, and those trains are used to, to move freight, to move people. So you're doing it in, in essence, they're helping to reduce the impact on the economy by prefabrication, which is a fantastic place to be working. And speaking of more efficient journeys, are you also trying to improve journey times around your vans, that kind of thing? Yeah, so we've got a UK fleet of commercial vehicles at the moment that stands at about 110, 115 vehicles. Um, One of the challenges all companies have today is how they try and modernise that fleet, not just making new, not just buying newer vehicles, but actually modernising them to be more sustainable. And one of the biggest challenges we face in our business is how how we make how and when sorry we make that leap into something that's more akin to a, an EV or a hydrogen vehicle. And, and the biggest challenge that we have is around payload, because not yeah. many vehicles in those spaces at the moment could take the payload that we need them to take. So we've done quite a lot of modelling around the, the different types of vehicles we could use and how we could change our own business model to better utilise those. And we're also conducting reasonably long trials we're on an eight eight week trial at the moment on some evs in our fuse business where we're trying to look at how we can completely transform the the way we work and the way we travel to work to to see if those vehicles can help us and enable us we've got a fantastic system that helps us to understand where our vehicles go how our vehicles are used and and what payloads are with them at a set point in time and what we really want to do is start to use that data in a, in a more succinct and clever way to better forecast our future need and how we can try and procure better suited and, and better used vehicles. Do you love this challenge of looking at all of the parts of the business that take energy and seeing how can you reduce that energy usage? Uh, yes, but I think I like it for two reasons. I think I like it because it's cool. But I also like it because I can help unlock doors for other people that also think it's cool so that they can pick it up as a task and they can run with it. And we've got a couple of people in our business now who, who've taken that challenge. Kay's uh, the fleet manager for our UK commercial vehicle team. She's picked up that mantle and absolutely run with it. She's looking at all sorts of things in, in that world. And it's really nice to sit back and, and know that you've helped enable that person to go and do something different. That's interesting. And so essentially, you you are creating roles and you're creating things for people to do that they might enjoy, which is probably something that is a is a very important characteristic in a in a people manager. I think it's more, it's more than that. It's trying to identify what really makes people tick and what they really enjoy doing. And if you can find the thing that people really enjoy doing and you can unlock the door so they can go and do that, that's when you're going to get the maximum out of people. You mentioned earlier that a lot of the time you have to show a client um, how a piece of technology or something they can be doing better by infusing some kind of innovative building method in there. Um, so you kind of guide them and show them the way. Can Does that same process sort of apply to the people that you manage as well, that you might see something in them that they don't necessarily see in themselves? Definitely. Definitely. It's very easy for us to, to join or to pick up a career 
to, to join that career, as I alluded to in, my, in the beginning of my career, where I wanted to become an accountant. It's very easy to pick that up and run with it. There's, once you get so far down the path, it's very difficult on your own to stop, reflect, and then change your mind. Sometimes you need people around you that can support you and develop you and encourage you that will help you, not necessarily to stop, but to reconsider and, and just check that you're on the right path. And, and, and it might be down to choosing a specialism within a particular career path. It might be changing career path completely. We've got people in our business now that, that have coordination roles where they, they effectively work in a call centre and, and manage the call centre for our client. They're now looking at moving into the data world and, and looking at data analytics because one of the parts of their role at the moment is to, to add data to a, a system. But what they really want to do is understand where it goes, how it can be used and how it can be used to improve performance. It's only a matter of time until we end up in a position in the rail industry where BIM is front and centre. The wider industry is there already. The rail industry is not quite there, but that's a matter of time. I can see MMC and modern methods of of construction becoming much more centric in the way that we do things so that prefabrication removes the impact on the railway and the and it puts passengers first, which is you know, the, the favourite phase of our client at the moment. So I can definitely see technology adding to that. I joined the business when we turned over about 28 million a year. And since then, we've been growing almost 20% a year. We've managed to grow through the pandemic. And, and our family culture, the Sisk family culture, has, has fundamentally been behind that change because we've been much more agile. So that agility and that ability to do things a bit different and think outside the box and problem solve, which is what our artisans are fantastic at, has enabled us to buck the trend and stay ahead of our competition, to react quicker for our clients. In such a fast-moving and constantly changing environment, everyone involved needs to keep learning, to keep trying new things and constantly evolve what they do. While this is exciting and energising, it can also be challenging, as working in an always-on industry can take its toll. And so the need for great people management and a collaborative work environment becomes even more important. You can be 10 or 15 years in this industry and, you know, I've been in more buildings and more plant rooms than I care to realise. If anybody seeing my phone, they think I had a sad life. All I have is pictures of pumps and boilers and <laughs> units on it. But um, <laughs> I suppose every day... You can walk into it, and I have done in the last couple of months and couple of years. You know, you think you've seen it all, and then you walk into a building and go, what is that, and what does it do? Like, the technology is moving so fast at the minute that you have to keep learning. You have to keep on top of it. Every single day is a school day. You never know what's going to drop into your email. It's it's extremely fast-paced, and things are only going to change at an even faster pace I imagine over the next kind of two and a half to five years so you can't get complacent there's always something exciting coming around the corner there's always something new and everybody kind of has to like that you'll always have to pick up the phone to one of your colleagues and say have you seen this before you know do you know what it does how does it operate who's out there that can assist me with doing a b and c you know so there's it's very much a collaborative approach. Everyone has to get involved and jump in and assist with each other. And, you know, I just find it a really good industry that nobody is ever to, especially in sensory, nobody, everybody is busy. Everybody is extremely busy, but nobody is ever too busy to jump in and help 
which is great because they know that next week or next month they might find themselves in a situation that you will have to jump in and help them do you know what I mean so there is there's a very collaborative approach and the team kind of work really well together both with the projects and engineering side and the FM side because like that we might rely on some of their engineers when it's a project being handed over to the FM side of the company and vice versa if they're you know at the end of a project and they just need you know a few electricians or a few plumbers or a few mechanical guys to jump in and help them just to reach deadlines they'll reach out to us and we'll jump across the other side of the company so it's it's just very much collaborative and everybody has to jump in and help each other which is is great it sounds like you get a lot of energy from it even though you know some of the best jobs we do they're exhausting but they're also energizing at the same time is is that how you describe what you do yeah it is it is very fast paced but like that Every day is a school day. You're not going in and sitting down with the same to-do list or and with the greatest plans in the world, you'll go in and you'll have, I'm going to get this done today. And, you know, your to-do list will be very much set out. And then, you know, by 10 o'clock, something might come in and your to-do list has to go in the bin and be dealt with by tomorrow because something has come up that everybody might need to band together on or a client is having an issue that needs to be sorted for, you know, whatever reason. But yeah, like that, you do. You have to just kind of be be ready to jump at any given moment, which kind of keeps you on your toes a little bit. How do you switch off and ensure that you are prepared for another day like this each time you go into work in the morning? I suppose you just get used to it, really. It's, you know, you come home in the evenings and I suppose, I don't know, from my own perspective, I have two young children. So when I come home in the evenings, I have to... I'm I'm mammy then, you know. So you have you have different areas of your life that you just kind of have to say, right, that's the time for work and that's the time for home and that sort of stuff. You know, you just have to because otherwise you wouldn't you wouldn't have the energy that you'd have to have to to actually deliver day to day. As a team leader, as a people manager, you I guess you also have to be very sensitive to the fact that your te- your team need to switch off and mm. what their life is like outside of work. So can that be can that be a challenge? It can because I suppose from my point of view, it's good that I've been in the industry so long because I have nearly done all of those people's jobs, which I find really helps because you understand the pressure that all of those different people are under because you've at one stage you've done that job and you've operated exactly how they're operating on the day to day. So when I get really overwhelmed and I feel under a huge amount of pressure, I don't enjoy my job and I don't like when I don't enjoy my job because that feeds out to your clients, it feeds out to your team, it feeds out to everybody. So I would have kind of I'd we our team would all be very close we kind of speak to each other on a regular basis we hold regular meetings probably too many meetings but it keeps everybody you know it keeps everybody talking and stuff like that we would kind of constantly analyze the the pressures and you know we always look forward to what deals that we're potentially going to win and new clients that are coming on board and all of that kind of stuff and we look at the kind of capacity that the team has so literally only this week We've started um, two more FMs and we have another one coming on board now on the 7th of December because we've looked ahead and we've seen the capacity issues that we are potentially going to have and we get ahead of it. So we don't just keep piling things onto people to a point that they're drowning Um, for two reasons. Um, Obviously, because, as I said before, we have an extremely good team. They have fantastic relationships with their clients. So we want to make sure that 
they're in a position that they're not overwhelmed and things don't start slipping and our clients don't start suffering because that is ultimately what happens when people get overburdened. So we need them to be in a position that they can deliver the best quality service to their clients. We also don't want them to feel, you know, on the day to day that they're not enjoying their job anymore. And ultimately, we don't want them to leave the business because, you know, it is an employee's market out there. We realize that, you know, people do have opportunity and we want to keep those good people here. We don't want to lose them. So all of that has to be taken into account on the day to day because you don't want those good people walking out the door because the only people that are going to suffer is the company at the end of the day. I think one of the biggest challenges of the railway network generally is that it's always on. Most of the access to do construction work is outside of hours, so it's nights and weekends. Um, They happen to be, which is not really a surprise to anybody, when it's dark and invariably because it's the UK when it's raining. So work out there can be pretty miserable. You know, it it takes a lot of effort and it takes the right sort of person to, to try and see through that and to succeed and that's where I have nothing but admiration for the, the teams that we've got and the artisans that we've got in the way that they go about that work because it's not a job that I could do day in and day out and what are some of the coping methods that you've seen you know what way do you sort of try and come at that uh, challenge most of it is camaraderie so the teams that we've got work together all the time and that they they know each other inside and out the f- families are friends with each other um so I think there's a, a lot to be said for that mentality and that approach. Um, there's a lot of tools that we have as a business in the way that we go about work. So the things that Reese was talking about to you previously in the I am here process, which is there as a fallback mechanism. But I think that the true culture of the CIS business kind of helps prevent the, the use of that unnecessarily. And, and I think that the, the first mechanism really is that camaraderie and the people working around each other. I'm really lucky that the people around me and the people I see in the office and when I go out onto onto site, we've all got the same common goal. Ultimately, in putting ourselves first, we would all like to take home the paycheck. We then all want the business to succeed. And and for the majority of us, we then want to be able to go out at Christmas and have a beer and, and talk about the year and reflect on some of the funny things and the bad things and the good things that have happened, but share that success together. And I think that's one of the one of the things that helps unify all of us together with that same common goal that we all want to succeed. Ninety nine percent of our problems we can deal with just through talking and, and engaging with each other and, and problem solving. And, and that's the beauty of the, the the role I've got is that we can help find the solutions together because I don't know everything. I rely on the people around me who are experts in what they do. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Inside Sisk. Please follow the series on Apple or Spotify and leave a rating and review. I hope you can join us next time.